Today on the Tech Bytes podcast, we're talking about cloud migration and operating in a multi-cloud environment. We're sponsored by VMware and we're speaking with Expedient, a VMware partner. Expedient's also a cloud service provider. They run 14 data centers across the US. Our guest is Brian Smith, CEO at Expedient. Uh, Brian, welcome to the podcast. And can you just take a few seconds to tell us what Expedient does? Sure, appreciate you having me on. So Expedient's a full stack cloud service provider. So really what that means is we can help a client with all the different generations of their technology from physical data centers through their VMware workloads and then making their cloud operations work really seamlessly. Okay, so that makes sense. Uh, so how do you use VMware to support your customers' cloud initiatives? VMware is our most strategic partner and they're the foundation of our cloud. So Expedient provides one of the largest VMware-based public clouds in the US. So we use their entire technology stack uh, from the security side to the general virtualization and all the way out to the desktop. So I think from my point of view, that that's what a lot of people are actually doing. They're not, we talk a lot about multi-cloud or, you know, people having lots of diverse technologies, but I think a lot of enterprises are actually looking at focusing on their core vendors. And what I hear you saying is, or I think you hear you saying is that this has got values in just focusing down that path. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, one of the big differences when Expedient thinks about cloud and, and using VMware is, you know, we really think about doing cloud different is at least how we have the conversation. And it's a different way to think about that cloud transformation versus, you know, you hear Gartner talk recently about chapter one of cloud was everything's going to go to the hyperscale. Mm -hmm. And that chapter mm -hmm. one really closed at the end of 22. And chapter two of cloud is about putting the right workload on the right cloud or, or in the right location and simplifying operations across all of that. And that's really been core to VMware over time. And, and that's a lot of our belief is if you do the, the transformation in a different manner or specifically change the order that you do the transformation, you can have significantly mm. uh, different impact for the organization as a whole. So this is very much multi-cloud. I've got on-prem, I've got off-prem. Maybe I'm using cloud, like what I call cloud native, which is AWS's in proprietary standards or Google's proprietary standards or mm -hmm. Azure's proprietary standards, or perhaps I'm going with my on-prem you know, proprietary standard of VMware where I'm doing VMware on AWS or VMware on Azure. And it's really going to be this blended solution. But if you can keep as much of it as possible grounded in a single technology stack, there's some sort of benefits for people. Is that is that the story? Yeah, it, it, a lot of it is about the, the speed that you could get to that cloud operating model. So mm -hmm. that you know, people initially thought that they had to do complete uh, app refactoring to uh, get to that cloud operating model. And you know, so our, our enterprise cloud that's built on top of VMware uses the technologies that companies already uh, know that already just works. And it has all the security built into the stack to begin with. So that you know, instead of doing a, what people would refer to as a lift and shift, and that's kind of a bad term in the industry, it's much more of a lift and optimize because when people move on to our enterprise cloud platform using the VMware stack, generally they end up reducing resources by about 30%. But the mm -hmm. real secret is about eliminating all their technical debt because it's a very prescriptive technology stack. So instead of dealing with 20 or 30 different vendors, it's a mm -hmm. service that all those things are integrated. So that time that you uh, save from dealing with the tech debt, then you can invest in things that are more strategic for the business and maybe applications that are then cloud native like you're talking about. But yeah. then you're also standardizing how you operate across those different platforms. So you have that one set of automation, the one set of security, the one set of visibility and observability so that you truly can extract the value from that cloud operating model yeah. that you were trying to get to. This is really interesting discussion because 
One of the things that you get with VMware is that if you're running it on-prem, most te technology teams can really only afford to run five or 10 or 20 VMs on a server, even though that server could realistically host 100 or 200, mm -hmm. because you know if it goes out, the blast radius is, is enormous. But if you're in a shared environment, using VMware, uh, you know, uh, like your multi-cloud, then all of a sudden the servers get maximum efficiency and there is savings there going into that uh, outsourcing that on-prem model. Yeah, and it also gives you VMware in that consumption model. So you're not trying to predict, you know, where you're going to end up in two or three years or four years, the life of the hardware and, and then sizing and scaling for that. You're just buying for what you need today. So a, a lot of the ways that we kind of have the conversation with people is kind of this concept of Legos. Uh, when you're building your own internal IT, every piece of technology is an individual Lego piece. And mm. every company, if you gave everybody the exact same bag of Legos and told them to build their solution, they could all build something, but it would be a little different and it could take a while to get to something that's really functional. And yeah. the difference of using it through a service provider is you're buying the box of Legos, so you have the picture of what it's going to be. There's uh -huh. a clear vision of what it's going to be, uh -huh. but the you're instructions the are also inside so that you're going to get there much faster. There's a difference between buying having a box of loose Legos and buying a kit that builds the Millennium Falcon. Exactly. Being at the other end comes out looking roughly like a Millennium Falcon, but if you're doing it with a box of Legos and no instructions, it's much more difficult to put together. So you're bringing that sort of the skills that you have from hosting a large you know, VMware cloud to say, here's my you know, expedient Falcon, <laughs> I know right. I'm stretching that a little bit, but, you know, conceptually. Yeah. And, and that's really how you get rid of that tech debt is, you know, mm -hmm. because those pieces are predefined, what their purpose is, how they function versus every individual company being a snowflake on the back end, so that they're the only group that can do kind of the support. So in, instead that we really run, uh, and it's not just expedient, but any service provider yeah, it really runs that day-to-day -day operations and allows your company and your employees to move up the stack related to the value and the things that are unique to your business. So we mentioned multi-cloud. Uh, obviously, you're uh, as expedient helping customers run in a cloud. But what about uh, if I've got workloads that I need to go in other clouds for other reasons? Can you support that as well? All of our infrastructure is designed to work across multiple different clouds. So you can have a single pane that you're using for observability, a single uh, set of security standards so that you can have you know one set of security rules that apply no matter if it's running in our cloud or in a VMware on AWS cloud, in a cloud native part of AWS, or even on-prem inside your own private cloud. And the same thing holds true from an automation standpoint so that you, know, you can have one set of applications that can be deployed multiple different places. And then our tooling is interacting with APIs of those different clouds to, again, simplify the day two operations that uh, often people don't think about. So as an example of that, you recently worked with a large university with a lot of students, 80,000, it says here in my notes, who were struggling with technical debt. I can almost promise you that every university is struggling with technical debt. <laughs> Some of it very old. How did you help them to achieve their goals? And what was the challenges that you solved there? The university had gone down the pretty standard initiative that we hear a lot of companies talk about, that they want to go to the cloud. And the cloud for mm -hmm. them uh, meant one of the hyperscalers. And they had been kind of going down that path for over a year and a half, nearly two years. And they had over 700 applications that they were trying to move that were housed in about 585 racks of, of physical hardware. And uh, they had their own virtualization internally. And they had you know, many ger generations of different technology and there were just around 15,000 servers, you know, a combination of physical and virtual. And they were having a hard time really trying to refactor those applications to get into that cloud operating model. 
So, you know, we, we propose a different way to think about the problem and first move everything out of their current operations onto our VMware based cloud. And mm. their team initially you know, said, this is impossible. There's no way it's going to happen. Was, I remember the, the story vividly that we went and we actually sent a team of engineers uh, and they just showed up on a, a Monday morning and they gave mm-hmm. us uh, 30 servers that were some of their hardest, nastiest things to migrate. And by mm-hmm. the end of the day, all of those were actually running on our platform. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, they actually you know, banged a giant gong. And it, it, that was part of their ritual uh, from you know, how they do their agile development and their agile yeah, cycles, yeah. Uh, claiming a success there. And that kind of built the original confidence. So right. you know, after that point... <laughs> it, it wouldn't... I mean, moving 30 of their gnarliest, toughest... Uh, servers and their applications and getting it right. That's that's fairly that's fairly convincing. Let's face it, right? Well, in three hours, especially. <laughs> that's right. That's what my point is. But that I mean, I don't know why people see that as so hard. VMware was designed to do that. The idea of getting it inside of hypervisor and then all of the tool sets that VMware's put in place around that actually makes that possible. I, I, I'm not entirely sure why people are struggling so hard with the idea that if I move my ESX hypervisor with its applications, aside from the networking challenge, which is now much more solved than it used to be, it's still got problems, don't get me wrong, but you know, why would people not believe that in 2023? A lot of times it's somewhat of a religion thing. The companies have their own uh, technology for network, their own technology for storage, their own technology that they've picked and built that snowflake. And it's yeah. difficult until they kind of zoom out and say, what's the outcome we're trying to achieve? And mm-hmm. you know, give up you know, some of the those different pieces on some of their legacy thinking and looking at, mm-hmm. at the benefits of really that converged ecosystem and how they work together. So you know, the, the networking side uh, with VMware was, was a huge piece. Also, uh, mm. everything is vSAN based uh, from a storage perspective. You know, so it, it really consolidated a number of the different technologies. And that organization ended up moving 15,000 servers and completing that entire cloud transformation in roughly nine months. And the first wow. term of their contract, no people reduction, but in hard infrastructure costs, you know, they stated that they say $50 million. So pretty meaningful. That is meaningful. 15,000 VM instances. Moved in nine months, saving $50 million. I mean, you can basically sky print that and you'd get away with it, right? That everybody would be like, okay, fair enough. Yeah, 2,500 of those servers were physical that actually moved to virtual machines that they didn't think many of their Mm. databases could be virtualized and would function. uh, Mm. So they just hadn't done it for years. But we showed the performance, showed that it worked fine on on VMware. I'll bet like 40 million of that infrastructure cost was storage. Yeah. I'll bet most of that infrastructure savings wasn't serving, it wasn't networking, it was storage. Oh, not you don't have to answer that question. I just wouldn't mention it in passing because storage is just sits really big in the pervasive beliefs that storage has got some mystical magic associated with it. But when you move into the cloud, there's so much more of it and you can actually choose the different levels. And vSAN, you know, it's 10 years into vSAN, it actually works now as opposed to, you know. Yeah, and your assumption is actually accurate that, you know, most people assume also you're going to increase costs during the migration and transition because of overlap. In their specific case, they actually reduced every single month their licensing costs. And a lot of that was also on the storage side. And even the first year, they were net positive in savings. Let me ask a question about backup. This is the other one that people get. Is backup better now? Because often doing backups on-prem is very difficult tapes or you know snapshots and all that sort of stuff is that better too 
from a cost perspective or performance? Let's start with cost because that's the one that uh, the only thing that most executives care about. Performance is kind of like not their problem. And I challenge that that's actually flipped in the last couple of years with ransomware that mm-hmm. the ability to recover has flipped some. But so from a cost perspective, you know, they definitely had a, a reduction, but we're seeing you know, that as well, that we can give a all disk-based solution and then replicate it. We run multi-hundred gig uh, backbone between our data centers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we can provide those multiple different sites uh, and simplify the entire process. And it can be a mixture of things that are, we're just doing snaps uh, versus things that you know, is actual agent-based so that if you need to have you know, the database and, and everything in a consistent format, and then we're replicating to uh, an additional site. So you're actually giving them ransomware recovery. So you're using a more advanced sort of backup solution or more, let's not say advanced, let's say more modern uh, yeah, backup more solution modern. That, so that you can actually go straight to recovering from a ransomware instance. So if those files were corrupted a week ago and you need to re- return the files, you can actually do that selectively and practically. You can even identify that ransomware and that sort of thing and, and do the recovery. That's correct. So think about it like a DVR for your mm. home. You know, that essentially you have five minute or five second uh, increments that you could dial back to any five second point in time and recover from in there. And then mm. when we're doing the recovery, we will actually take the virtual machine and instant boot it onto the backup server. And it uses mm. the compute on that server uh, with VMware. We can actually do a live you know, vMotion of that server once it's booted up you know, from the backup uh, server and, and then move it back into one of the production or DR clusters. So that mm. allows people to come back up in a matter of minutes. That's significant because for a university, a lot of that is actually very difficult to do. Like getting realistic backups, allocating costs to backup is very difficult because quite often it's just easier to say, oh, we'll skip that this time around because the budget doesn't stretch. But it sounds to me like you're actually making it more possible or more reasonable for them to achieve. Would that be unreasonable? No, that, that's accurate. And you know, they have a full DR now that is about a third of what their previous uh, costs were. And it's fully mm-hmm. functional that they can test it at any point because it'll test, it'll spin up in a se- separate bubble. And one yeah. of the unique things we do because Expedian actually started as a network provider that you know we can actually uh, span across our backbone, the IPs, so that if they want to uh, spin up just individual applications in a DR site, they can do that without uh, having any other changes mm-hmm. inside the network. It will just work and function. Or mm-hmm. if they do have that event where they have to hit that big red button, you can actually, we can actually move all of your public-facing IPs to a second site and announce mm-hmm. from there. And it takes about five minutes for everything to reconverge. So it really simplifies that network design where people never thought that that type of opportunity was possible. And the network side is often overlooked when you think of uh, those DR events and the complexity that brings into it. Well, that does uh, come to the end of our time. Thank you, Brian, for joining us. Uh, Thank you to Expedient and to VMware for being a sponsor. You can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog. It's all at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at packetpushers. Find us on LinkedIn, hear us on Spotify, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.